Hey, welcome to Permanent Waves, a Rush podcast. I'm Jared Grieco. Whether you're streaming online or have downloaded to advice, thank you very much for listening. Um, I listen to a lot of uh, comedy podcasts, podcasts by comedians, and I understand that that specialty podcasts are kind of the butt of every joke in the podcast world. Like, it's very much not cool to have such a specialized podcast, like a show all about one band. Or, you know, um, the idea is that there's a, there is a podcast for literally everything, and comedians like to poke fun at that. However, um, I, st- I think we still have a lot of fun. So, um, you know, if anyone out there knows Jared Grieco and they were like, oh, what's this guy doing? And then they realize what happens here. Um, don't judge. We have a lot of fun, right? So, uh, first off, I apologize. I took a big break. Um, I've, I'm close to being certified to be a music teacher and, um, in my wonderful state of New York, um, they, we have to do something called ed TPA and it's a lot of work. Um, the bottom line is right now as I'm student teaching, I had a ton of work to do. But it's over now, so now we're back to podcasts. Uh, and there's a lot of Rush news to talk about. I want to say that in a few episodes ago, I I said something I take back. Um, I said some mean things about the song Magical, and I take them back. I said those mean things, and of course, then I went back and listened to it after I said those things. I listened to it for the first time in a while, and I'm like, you know what? That song didn't deserve those unkind words. Um, it's actually a really, it's a it's a song that's well written, which is I think is rare for older Rush material, like you know, uh, a farewell to Kings and the the older stuff. I don't think was as well written song wise. They weren't songwriters yet, like they are on Hold Your Fire or newer Rush material. They were more about. They were more prog. They were more. Uh, they were more metal in a sense. It was more about riffs and uh, cool sounding guitar stuff and things like that. They weren't so much about the sound. But Madrigal is an exception. I think they do. And not to say that they weren't writing good songs back then. I love that stuff. But Madrigal does a very nice job of keeping it keeping it simple, simple chords, simple rhythms, simple melody, and. It's still being a really, really nice song. So, Magical, if you're listening, I apologize. Now, to the new Rush news that's been floating around. Uh, the first thing I saw regarding Rush news this week in early November is that... Uh, I guess I should timestamp it. November 2014, If in case you're listening years in the future, is that Getty Lee comes out in some small interview... And says that he basically says, despite what Alex Lifeson has told everybody, the 2015 spring tour is still up in the air. Which is like, come on, man. <laughs> you're either touring or you're not. And Alex has said several times that it's actually happening. Um, my newsfeed has been filled for weeks with Rush is going to do their. 40th anniversary tour, and it's going to be a big deal, and blah, 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 blah. And then Getty's like, yeah, we don't know yet. Um, I still think it'll happen. I think we all know it's going to happen. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they bumped it to summer, 
because they tend to like the summer tours lately. Maybe they start in June or something. But it is a little sad to hear that. Um, I think, and the more I read articles and interviews, is I think they all want to play again. They all seem to really enjoy their time off, but they're they realize they're still healthy and they could still do this. Neil's got a small child at home, so we all understand. Um, I still think it'll happen. Getty also talks a lot about his uh, willingness to write in the sense that maybe the band wants to write more material. I've said this before. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree with this. I think if I had to choose, if you said, Jared, Rush can either play two more tours for you to see, like an anniversary tour and then, let's say, a farewell tour, and or they can write another album. I'm taking the album. In fact, I'm taking the album over three more tours. I like the material better than seeing them live. Uh, I love seeing them live, and I've done it six times, I think. Been a fan since 2007. I've seen them six times. But I I, I latched onto the material more. Um, it's, that kind of thing speaks to me. The, the actual material uh, is a better view into the writer, into the artist, than the actual performance, if you know what I mean. So, it seems like the guys are are leaning towards writing. Um, CBC is a Canadian something that I was too lazy to look up. But they do a lot of really nice interviews, especially with Rush, because they're from Canada and all this. Uh, they're doing an entire week of Rush um, because of the 40th anniversary, and they're doing a really, really good job. When I saw that, I thought, great. Every week, every day I'll turn on Facebook, and there will be something else that I will have to read because I'm such a big fan, but I'll already know. There will be no new information. And I was really surprised that a lo- most of the stuff they post, I'm like, wow, that's really interesting, or wow, I didn't know that. One of them was like the 25 things you didn't know about Rush. And I thought, yeah, okay. Um, and I went through, and I maybe got through five or six of them that I knew, and then I got one I didn't know. And I'm really bummed out because I just realized I didn't uh, write that down in my notes. I wanted to talk about that list. We'll do that next time. Um, but if you see that list floating around, read it. It's a really good read. Uh, they are doing a nice job. They have an interactive Neil Peart, Neil Peart uh, drum set from like a bird's eye view that um, you click on the one section and then Neil will pops up with Neil's video and he tells you all about it. Sometimes my mic falls down guys, you'll forgive me, right? So I saw um, it's, it's getting to the point where I'm following too many rush accounts because some are really good and some are really bad. Some of them are just people yelling at each other and arguing and, and there's the there's one where it's just constantly sick people. It's just people in the hospital posting like, "Hey guys, day sixty four, and I'm feeling better." And I'm like, I never read them all through, but I, I always wonder why <laughs> why is this popping up as Clockwork Angels such and such, and it's just a dude in a hospital bed like you know get better, man. But I don't know why he's here. So uh, one of the posts made by a fan was. I'm thinking about getting R40, the box set, but people are pissed. And he put the link. And he goes, read these comments. 
So this, he, the link is to Amazon to buy the box set, 120 bucks, I think, something like that. Uh, it's got a bunch of Blu-rays and such, but it's all stuff that if you're a relatively big fan that you already own. So the box set, if you don't know, the box set comes with, uh, I think it's Snakes Live, maybe Time Machine, R30, uh, Russian Rio, and I'm sure they all sound better and look better, but we already own them. And then there's like maybe one or two CDs of new material, and that's what's supposed to entice us to buy this box set. And the you know people in the comments were like, "This is ridiculous! This is the one time that the band wasn't looking, isn't looking out for their fans?" And uh, you know, it's definitely the record company in the or producers or it's not Getty Lee doing this to us, right? Uh, so at the same time, the the guy said, "You know, the stuff we haven't seen, which is includes um, I think the video footage from different stages, the Test for Echo video footage." Which I think would be really neat to see. Uh, he goes, "This is this will all be up on YouTube." You know, the the record company keeps ripping them down once people put them up, but eventually they're not going to be able to keep up. This will all be on YouTube, just like everything else on the planet, and we'll all get to see it. Uh, if they sold it individually, I would absolutely support my band and pay the twenty bucks for a new DVD. I would absolutely do that. I am not buying R30, Russian Rio, Snakes and Arrows Live, and Time Machine Tour again, when I already own them, okay? Um, I realized the other day I own Time Machine Live, uh, the DVD, but I don't own the CD, and it's like, I want that on my iPod, like, I want to be able to listen to that stuff, but now I gotta go out and buy it separate, I wish they wouldn't do that. But they want my money, and they get my money, and that's why it keeps happening. So people aren't happy about R40, and I understand. I didn't even consider buying it. Uh, I don't need that new material that bad. And like I said, I'll see it eventually on the internet. Um, what else do we have here? Getty Getty said in an interview that he's playing a lot. Uh, with the CBC Rush Week thing, he said that he's playing a lot of bass. He's not doing any singing. In fact, the interviewer asked him, how do you you know? How do you keep your voice and how do you sing the high notes? And he just kind of said, "I don't sing at all in the off season, but now I'm playing bass a lot." He said he's collecting old antique guitars, uh, vintage basses, and all these different things that keep him interested and keep him playing around. Which number one, I think, will keep his chops up. Not that they ever win anywhere, but maybe Getty's a better bass player. Can you imagine that? Two. It'd be really cool to see some different guitars. As much as I love Fender Jazz basses and I love the sound that he has, it'd be cool to see something different just um, because the guitar geek inside of me wants to see what Getty Lee might use. And um, maybe there were only two reasons, guys. What was the third reason? Uh, maybe his maybe his playing changes. Maybe his, uh, his playing style and his fingers changes. Maybe the way he writes is different now. I think that'll have a... It's a win-win scenario for him if he's just playing all the time with any musician, actually. Just play, and he'll be better. So, Getty also had, like, a Twitter thing where... For CBC, where he answered people's Twitter questions, and um, they, he, he, they, an, they had him answer the weirdest questions. One of them was about... Uh, one was like, what does Neil smell like after a concert? I could just see Getty like shaking his head, like, "Why am I wasting my time doing this?" The, uh, the same interviewer asked him, 
he said, I'm going to just ask you about certain songs that some people want to see in the set list, and you tell me about each of them. And he did The Necromancer, and he did Fly By Night, and some other old tune that you we know they're not going to do. And he was like, yeah, oh yeah, that'd be cool, but we were really weird back then in our writing, and I can't sing that anymore. <laughs> so then it got to the good stuff. Uh, he said, what about Cut to the Chase? And Getty said, I really like that song. I don't know if anyone else in the band likes it. What about chemistry? Chem- and it seemed like Getty was all over chemistry. He said, I love it. I wrote it in my basement in, in some place. Some, I think he said it was his basement in Toronto or something. Uh, it was the first thing that he demoed, and he really liked it. I could totally see them playing that this tour, too. I could hear that with their new sound. Um, I don't know if there was anything else that they asked him about. I wish I had it in front of me, but I don't, guys. I apologize. Uh, but he said that the tour in general, if it happens, will be a quote-unquote trip through the years. Uh, ring a bell like R30 maybe. Sounds very, very similar, especially with the medley that they did. There was also a, a link that came across my newsfeed this week. This podcast is turning into, let me read my newsfeed to you over the last few days. Uh, it was Rush's t- 10 best songs by uh, maybe Rolling Stone, I think, that put it together. And we all know Rolling Stone doesn't know what they're talking about when it comes to this stuff. So maybe it was Rolling Stone. I don't know. The top 10 best Rush, the best Rush songs, and then they asked Neil about each of them. So the list, uh, Spirit of Radio, number one. Tom Sawyer, 2112, La Via. Subdivisions, Limelight, Red Barchetta, YYZ, Time Stand Still, Weird, and Xanadu. Like, all of those make sense, and then Time Stand Still's thrown in there. Which I completely agree with. If you've listened to other episodes, you know I love that song, and it'd be it's probably my top five ever. I think it's perfectly written. Um, if we don't take into account the music video, but that's a different thing. So, Time Stand Still, Ninth. I'm just very glad it was in there. And Neil mentioned when Neil wrote like a small paragraph about each song, how the lyrics were that so important to him. And yeah, the lyrics are great. I think the music complements the lyrics. It, it couldn't be better. It's perfect. Interesting list, though. It, it, it's tough for me to look at this set of songs, like their, their big hits or whatever, the most popular songs, and say that they're wrong because they're great. And, like, I haven't heard the original recording of Limelight in a while. Just because I over-listened to it. When I first got into Rush, moving pictures was one of the first things I had. I can't, I just listen to, you you listen to your favorite song in the world a billion times, and you're like, all right, I'm done. (laughs) I can't listen to that song anymore. Um, And that's where I'm at with all these radio hits. Plus, there's a classic rock radio station in the Albany area that, excuse me, will play, um... Free Will. Weird that Free Will isn't on this list, by the way. Free Will, Limelight, Subdivisions, Tom Sawyer, Closer to the Heart, over and over and over. But Free Will, Closer to the Heart, those are songs that I would think would be on this list before time stands still. Pretty uh, pretty impressive. I imagine Neil's sick of answering these questions about these songs as well. But if they played, I don't know, if they were playing on the radio, Countdown and... um. 
I don't know, some mystic rhythms, <laughs> you know, different songs that we don't hear, then I'd be sick of those too. And I think that as much as I love mystic rhythms, Limelight is a much better song. I listen to mystic rhythms probably twice a week though, and I haven't heard Limelight in probably six months. You, you know, and Limelight is just a better song um, construction wise. Red Barchetta, I think, is kind of sets the standard for not prog and not pop music, but somewhere in between. It's storytelling is what how Neil described it in this. It just tells a story perfectly. It's almost like Rush was like a soundtrack, like a movie, uh, like a movie score, a movie soundtrack for a while, as if they are now. They, they still kind of are, in my opinion. They they tell told a story with excellent lyric writing, obviously, but also wrote the sounds and the music for this movie that the words are telling. I think these are all really nice examples. Even YYZ, he talked. We you know most of us know that YYZ is Morse code for the airport in Toronto, and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I know that. But then he goes on to say how. The actual music in YYZ, no words by the way, describes the hustle and bustle and different emotions that are present in an airport. And I thought that was fascinating and I'm actually excited to go listen to YYZ again with that in mind. The very different bridge in that song com- compared to the rest of the song, very different. I'm talking about the emotion of somebody bringing you know, their loved one to the airport, dropping them off and them going to the other side of the country or whatever. Different emotions in the airport. Uh, really interesting to me. Another thing that I've kind of been conscious of in the last week or so is the difference between Rush's music and like the pop music that people my age in their early 20s listen to. And that's how, like the music I study now, I'm trying to go to grad school for jazz performance on bass. And jazz, and especially modern jazz, is about grooving. And I've often thought, especially before Tess for Echo, Neil Peart was really good but didn't groove. And I don't know if that's necessarily true, but there's a lot of really funky, like funk music, R&B music, and jazz that grooves really, really, really hard. And what I mean by groove is something you can dance to. When you hear a really good rhythm section that's grooving really hard in jazz or funk, it's something you can't resist, It, but you have to move to it, no matter what it is. You could be the most awkward kid in the world like I am. You just have to move to it. It makes people want to dance. And I've thought, this music... By the way, when I was at school, I started a, a funk band. We played funk music and uh, pop tunes for our classmates on the weekends, and our name was Funkin' Donuts. That is... Hands down, the most proud I've ever been of anything I've ever created. Funkin' Donuts, the name of a funk band, I've never been more proud of anything. However, (laughs) funk music has a groove. It makes people want to move, makes people want to dance. That's why we played dance parties and Funkin' Donuts. Rush doesn't do that, which I think it contributes to the the idea that girls don't really um, listen to, uh, you know, in general, there are more guys than girls at Rush shows. Even at Rush shows, I feel like I want to move. You can, you don't really dance to Rush. You just kind of sit back and enjoy it. 
you and I, I think the way that I'm able to kind of uh, calculate that and label it in my brain is that Rush's storytelling, like we were saying a second ago, Rush is telling me a story and adding a soundtrack to it. And the listeners are able to sit back, listen, take it in, and experience the story with the band, which is way, way different than music for a different purpose, which is to move and groove and dance and get funky. I love them both equally. But now I'm able, it's just nice in my head to think, that's why Rush is different. That's why there's no mosh pits at Rush concerts or you know people dancing or like at a I don't know what are shows people dance at. I saw Maroon Five once. That was everyone was dancing there, uh, and I like that. I like to you know when you ever been at a Rush show where you can see all the people in front of you. Maybe you're at the back. I see I see them in Saratoga. It's my favorite place. I sit first row balcony almost every year that they're here. Because I can, it's a great view, number one, of the band. Great sound up there. And you have a really nice view of the audience. And it's cool to kind of watch how they're reacting. And it's mostly just people, you know, they get their fists up in the air or whatever. They're air drumming and all this other stuff. That doesn't happen in other concerts, I don't think. It's more of a, hey man, I'm there with you. I'm I'm in the story with you. I'm driving a red Barchetta and I'm, I'm running away from an aloe vera car. I'm... I'm in a ship and I'm sinking because I don't want to spoil any of the Clockwork Angels story for you. But um, especially Clockwork Angels. I mean, that's a story in itself. Before we're done, I want to talk about one thing that I may have mentioned before, but um, I might mention it again just because I think it's... uh, I don't know. You tell me what you think about it. So Rush and concept albums. We know about the concept songs like Cygnus, like 2112, right? But they never really had a concept album until Clockwork Angels where the entire album is one uh, story or one concept. Clockwork Angels to me was more of a story. It was a chapter book. It was literally a chapter book, Clockwork Angels, the novel, where each each song was a chapter is what I'm trying to say. And they all kind of went together like that. If you're asking me what the top few Rush albums are that are concept albums, Clockwork Angels is a given. However, I think that Vapor Trails, Counterparts, Power Windows, and uh, that's probably it. Power Windows, Counterparts, and Vapor Trails are their biggest concept albums. And I'm sure I'm missing something with the other albums. If I am, write in and let me know, please. You can find my email on wherever you're listening to this, wherever you downloaded it. Send me something and tell me. For example, uh, Power Windows. There's a really good uh, set of videos on YouTube of Rush interviews from the Power Windows era. And it's when Power Windows was brand new and they interviewed the guys and they talked about the material. And it's the only time you really hear them go that in depth with that album. But they t- uh, they talk about Neil and Getty say it's about power. The entire thing. It's a power window. Power windows were like a real thing back then. They were new. But it's a window into the world of power. Big money. Grand designs. Right? Manhattan Project was kind of a big deal in, in world history. The entire thing is about power. 
the concept of that album, of that concept album, was power. And I think it's funny how sometimes we label albums as concept albums, and other times they can be completely concept albums, but we don't even talk, we don't even mention it, right? Counterparts. I've always loved Rush's um, discography because their their collection of material was never about like love or sex, like every other rock band in the world except counterparts and they did it so discreetly right a couple you know the speed of love is the word love in it Ooh, <laughs> that that's it the rest of the album does it really really discreetly the entire thing is about relationships and love and uh love outside of relationships nobody's hero right and i think that's another concept album it's the only time a rush really goes down that road so directly maybe they do it in other ways and then obviously Vapor Trails is the story of a guy who lost his family and went on a trip. That is, you are, that is the clearest, aside from reading Neil's books, which I have yet to do, that is the clearest um, window we can have into his brain during that time. And it's through music, which is pretty sweet. So if I'm missing something, like if there's a theme for Roll the Bones or Presto or Tesfreco or something, let me know because I want to know what that is. I just, I just don't know. If there's a theme for those albums, like Snakes and Arrows is a, an album that I enjoy p- partly because it doesn't have a theme. It's just a collection of really good songs. There's no, oh man, we got to make this one fit into the theme or the concept. It's just, nope, we wrote this song, it sounds good, put it on the album. We wrote this song, it sounds good, put it on the album. And they did that. The Malignant Narcissism was written at the last second. Hope is just Alex, and they threw it on there. Some people argue it shouldn't be on there. I think you're crazy. It's a great song. But these are the things that I think about. Speaking of Tess for Echo, I, I'm going to butcher his name. Pharrell Williams? Farrell? Pharrell? I think it's Pharrell. I'm not really good with pop music, you guys. Um, is a, a guest on the show, The Voice. And a couple days ago, you may have seen this. A couple days ago, he wore... And he dresses really weird. He's He's got like a red headband on. He doesn't have a lot of hair. He's practically bald. Or he is bald. He's got weird earrings. Big chains. And then he's got a Test for Echo t-shirt on. What You have to see it. it. It's like if you open up your little book it, booklet. Book it? If you open up your booklet from Test for Echo, there's um, a painting of a wolf or a dog or something and it looks like it's a ripped piece of paper diagonally across the painting it's that and it says rush in the corner test for echo but i just thought what is going on here so the people commenting are saying uh you know this is cool i hope he's a really big fan Uh, clearly if you're wearing test for echo you either think that's cool to be that obscure or you're a really big fan and you know what test for echo is and you like test for echo I I love Tess Frego, Don't judge me. One of the one of the comments said, um, "If you, I hope I hope this means he's a really big fan, and it's not some some sort of avant-garde hipsterism." And I thought that is exactly what I was just thinking, and it put it together so nicely. Avant-garde hipsterism, where it's just cool to be that weird and obscure. You know, like oh, what's a really obscure band? Rush. What's their most obscure album? Tess Echo. Let's put that on a T-shirt. Right? 1996, I think. It's just a weird thing for a pop star to do. 
Uh, but somebody else said he's there is hope. He wore a yes shirt previously and maybe a pink floyd shirt which we're speculating that he's a prog rock fan and that he's actually a fan uh and that he wore that same test for echo shirt in concert which i think is pretty cool i like it good guy (laughs) so we're gonna get a, a bunch more of these episodes out in the near future um, I've got a couple people that I want to bring on to talk. I've got a guitarist coming on. How cool is that? I've had a lot of bass players on this podcast, but uh, I've got a guitar player that I've never met, but I've been friends with on Facebook for a while. I've been geeking out with him a lot, um, and he writes his own stuff. You may have heard of him. So be ready for that. That'll be soon. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you listen to some more, and I hope you uh, join the conversation and the discussion by emailing me or uh, however you can get a hold of me. My name's Jared Grieco, and if you search it, you will find me. So, uh, take care, live long and prosper. Is that the right thing to say? That's not the same thing. Uh, We'll see you later. Thank you for listening. Brought to you by... No, I didn't say it. Brought to you by Nicker.